Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Pony Express, more specifically, Fortress of Ineptitude, our little show within a show here where we talk about some of the uh, the, the forgotten, the maligned comic book movies of years past. As always, I am one of your hosts, uh, Post Writer Editor Chief Michael Vito, and I'm joined, once again, as always, by Post Writer Contributor Lewis Ryan. Hey, Mike. Uh, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm glad glad to be talking with you after your brush with near death from COVID. Um, but uh, now that I violated violated HIPAA on the air, um, let's. Uh, what what movies movies plural actually are, are we going to be talking about uh, on this episode, Lewis? Well, I'm very excited for this episode of Fortress of Ineptitude. We are continuing our series looking at forgotten comic book movies and today we are doing something a little bit off the beaten path we are covering the red movies and no i'm not talking about the Krzysztof kieślowski red <laughs> from the mid 90s um i'm talking about the bruce willis led old geezer ensemble <laughs> action movies red one and red two from the early 2010s gosh mike that was that was a whole decade of cinema that just went by. It's crazy to think about. That was a whole whole era, the early 2010s. Um, yeah, but so we're we're talking about those movies. Yeah, it definitely is crazy to think about. Also crazy to think about. I mean, we can get into this later. That like you know, the whole point of Red is that they're retired but extremely dangerous. And it's kind of crazy to think about how many of these actors are still active, like you know Morgan Freeman and Helen Mirren and John Malkovich. Um, Carl Urban. Carl Urban. Well, yes. <laughs> um, Mary Louise Parker, I suppose, as well. Um, but the reason we chose this movie, the reason why really you chose it, it was your idea, is because of one actor who actually isn't active anymore, and, and that's Bruce Willis. Yeah, Bruce Willis. So some of you may remember, um, roughly a year ago, it was announced that Bruce Willis has developed sort of aphasia in his brain, which is basically like a form of dementia that affects his ability to, you know, remember things and that, you know, severely impacts his ability to, you know, memorize lines and be an actor in movies. And I thought, you know, as 2022 wrapped up, that was one of the more underrated uh, celebrity film news stories is that Bruce Willis has basically retired. And, you know, I figured, uh, you know, it'd be good to do an episode on Bruce Willis since, Bruce Willis is a New Jersey guy, famous mm -hmm. New Jersey icon, and Mike Levito and I are both New Jersey icons <laughs> ourselves. So I, I think we both have a lot to say about Bruce Willis, probably, right? I mean, that that's why we're doing this episode. Now, I know people probably write in that there's probably lots of other movies that we could have done, like, hey, why aren't we doing the big surrogates episode? <laughs> Aren't we doing like Sin City, right? Or Sin that's, City Two? That's a good point. And you know, I I really have no good response. <laughs> the these films are on the list, and you know, it's honestly kind of a special treat that we're covering both of them at once. Mm -hmm. um, mostly because it was delayed by COVID, so I figured we need to do something a little bit extra to justify the later release of this for our one listener. Um, so we're, we're going to cover both of them at once 
get it all over with like a huge band-aid mm-hmm. or just gonna rip off um yeah so bruce willis mike what do you what do you think of when you think of bruce willis um i think i i probably think of the sixth sense um mostly uh just i don't think that's the first thing i saw bruce willis and i I highly doubt that actually but it's um certainly like one of the earliest kind one of the kind of one of the earlier like adult quote-unquote movies i remember watching right and being like oh this is i mean it sounds maybe a little slow to say this about the sixth center like this is like an important movie that like adults like because my parents actually both loved that movie and it was presented to me as like you know this is like you know you you're you're now old enough to watch this movie type thing um they had it on vhs actually if, if i remember correctly um so that but i i think like uh really what he kind of and and watching these movies reinforce this is that he i think represents a kind of leading man that i'm not like 100 percent sure exists anymore and that i think there is like he is like very like masculine but not in a, like an over-the-top cartoonish way the way the way say like vin diesel or the rock is right there's something a little more kind of like blue collar and down to earth about his masculinity it's like he's it's he's not like a a special forces operative or like a, a bodybuilder he's just like he's more of like a construction worker is kind of how i think about him right um and he has this kind of like you know wisecracking smooth talking thing down that that i think you know is 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 pretty effective and 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 i think is like you know i I feel like it kind of i don't know that you can that many actors nowadays excuse me strike that balance quite as well as as he did in his prime yeah i think that that's sort of like what he brought it was sort of the end of the 80s when he emerged with die hard Mm -hmm. as his like breakout movie and that was like the era of schwarzenegger and stallone where they had like very big like action movies but i think what like what he brought to it was like an element of like every manism Mm -hmm. and like that wisecracking sense of humor which was very very funny and like without like totally going into like meta irony i would say like die hard's like a very funny movie Mm -hmm. but i don't know how to explain it's almost like mm, it's not quite meta Mm-hmm. But it's like commenting on like the the ridiculousness of the situation in a way. Right. Die Hard. It's like taking everything completely seriously. Yeah. Like as realistically as possible. Like what would happen in this situation? And it's like John John McClane's not like the Terminator, you know, mowing down tons <laughs> of people. He has to like strategize and like think about things and like things are set up in the movie that pay off later. And you know, I. I I'm not going to be the first person on the internet to declare my hot take is that Die Hard is a good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but you know, I will say that it's a very strong movie that um, that sort of catapulted him to, to stardom. And I think the first Bruce Willis film, since you brought it up, I, I'm not sure. I think it might have been Live Free or Die Hard mm. was the first one that I saw. Because I remember, I didn't I didn't see it in the theater, but I remember seeing the trailer in the theater and I felt like, the whole vibe of that trailer was like, oh, look who's back, John McClane. Mm-hmm. And it was like Bruce Willis, like with the shaved head. And I was like, I really don't know who this guy is. So it felt like he was like reemerging, yeah. you know, to the spotlight, which um, is not technically true because he's been in films like every year, basically. Mm-hmm. 
But, you know, that was, I saw Live Free or Die Hard when it came out on video, and I, I really liked Live Free or Die Hard. Mm -hmm. I think it's, like, a really good movie. Sure, it's less realistic than the first Die Hard, but I think it's a really fun, well-made action movie um, that I, I feel like doesn't get enough love just because it's rated PG-13 <laughs> instead of rated R, um, which I suppose is fair, I guess, in the series. But, um, yeah, I really like, you know, the Die Hard series of films, you know, I would say, like, the first four, anyway. They're all extremely watchable. I have a soft spot in my heart for Die Hard with a Vengeance. Yep. I feel like that's, like, my, my favorite one. I love mm -hmm. rewatching that one. Yeah, um, that, that's the third one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one yeah. with Jeremy Irons and Samuel L. Jackson mm -hmm. where they're in New York City. Yeah, I really enjoy that one, too. It's kind of ironic that um, John McClane's, like, the iconic, like, New York cop, but it isn't until the third movie that they actually... <laughs> are in uh new york city that's a very good point um and yeah so bruce willis is just like um but I, i've gone back i've rewatched the first three seasons of moonlighting mm. which was the the abc crime time comedy drama dramedy show that he did on uh you know network television and he's very good in that obviously what's shown in there was his you know sense of humor and uh, Glenn Gordon Karen talks about the creator of Moonlighting. He talks about in interviews about how he wanted sort of like this New Jersey vibe sort of guy. And it's funny when he does interviews, it's like Glenn Gordon Karen. He's like talking like this, but you know, I want a character. And then he, and he starts, Hey, I'm talking like Bruce Willis. I want a character who talks like this. <laughs> it's like, I wanted a guy who talks like that. And like, you would see guy after guy. But the problem was, is that while they would look and sound like, you know, a Bruce Willis type, there, there was so much dialogue in Moonlighting. It was like the screwball comedy dialogue was like so so many long monologues and they would have two characters with overlapping dialogue. Like you needed like an actual like strong Shakespearean sort of actor to actually like nail the dialogue. And like Bruce Willis was like the only person that could actually, was actually that strong enough of an actor to actually do that. So that's how he got the role of uh, David Addison on Moonlighting, which is a very good show. It's supposed to be coming to Disney Plus streaming sometime soon. Mm. So hopefully when that comes out, um, check it out. Maybe I'll write something for the Postwriter on that. I yeah. know the Postwriter has too many written articles right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no such thing. Um, um, yeah, so that leads into Die Hard. And then Bruce Willis basically like, he's like an icon mm -hmm. of like 90s cinema. You know, he's like one of the big three. Like, with Stallone and Schwarzenegger, they famously start the restaurant Planet Hollywood, which I've never been to. I went once. Um, Where was that? I think it was in... It may have been in New York, the one in New York. Um, it was, like, I was with my family. I was, like, in high school or something, and we were in New York for some other reason, just need something quick to eat, so we stopped in there. It's either there or... Is there one in L.A.? There probably is. I don't really remember. <laughs> is there one in L.A.? <laughs> Listeners, if you, if you know the answer, write in. Yeah, uh, there's, the there's no bubblegum, no no bubblegum in New Orleans though, right? Like you know. <laughs> yeah, so he's like an icon of the '90s. Uh, you know, he's in Pulp Fiction. You know, pretty much one of the biggest films of the 1990s. Um, he oddly, he's not like thought of as like one of the you know big guys in that movie, but he is like the third lead mm -hmm. in a way between John Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson. He really is like the lead for like the middle part of that movie. Yeah. Um, Fifth Element, Twelve Monkeys, Sixth Sense, like you talked about. You know, 
Um, what I what I learned about Bruce Willis is that he actually liked working with like new directors mm. and like what apparently what he would do is like when he was on set with like a new director he would like start try to start a conversation about with them about like what type of lens are you using in the camera because that way if they gave like a good answer like they knew what they were talking about he knew he was in good hands mm-hmm. um, so he he would like to work with these other directors he actually like. It's this weird contradiction with Bruce Willis where it seems like in some of his movies he really has this persona of, like, I really don't care. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm just here for money. But it seems mm-hmm. like he actually, like, did strive to, like, give good performances and be a good actor. But he also had the Hollywood dichom- dichotomy of, like, I want to be in the biggest films ever and make a lot of money and be huge celebrity. Yeah. It, it's almost like Harrison, like, because Harrison Ford seems like a guy who, like, Love Harrison Ford, but he seems like a guy who like actually doesn't really care sometimes, right? And Bruce Willis, I think you're right, is kind of the opposite. Where he is always in these these like bigger kind of like mass appeal movies. And I think kind of you know got reputation maybe towards like the end of the 2000s for being in ones that weren't so good. Um, but yeah, he, you're right. He does seem like he he actually like you said actually cares. Yeah. Apparently that did not go, his uh, asking about lenses did not go over well on the film Cop Out yes. that he did with <laughs> Tracy Morgan, where he he and Kevin Smith got into a torturous relationship mm-hmm. that Kevin Smith has talked about many, many times, um, that I'm sure, I'm sure time has healed those wounds or they, they start, will start healing pretty soon since, you know, Bruce was diagnosed. Clash of the New Jersey Titans, that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good point. Um because Kevin Smith isn't really, like... he He's admitted as such. He's really more of a writer than yeah. a director. He's much more of a, like, shoot two people talking than, like, I'm going to... Like, what lens am I using? Like, mm-hmm. What are you talking about? One one that's clean. <laughs> um, yeah, so... And then... Uh, after Sixth Sense, he kind of, like, disappeared. Without really disappearing, I want to say. Nothing really, like, spectacular. 16 Blocks is, like, an underrated sort of diehardy action movie hmm. that he's in richard donner did did you ever see over the hedge um no but i saw lots of the advertisements for over the hedge he's in over the hedge i i've i've, I've read the newspaper comic strip wow yeah that is that is an interesting let's <laughs> let's where's the written piece on the poster about That's the over the hedge question. comic strip um uh, and then, like, he sort of reemerged in Live Free or Die Hard, like I said. And then he mm-hmm. seemed to be in a bunch of things. He was in Looper, Ryan Johnson's Looper, which is interesting. Do you think if Looper were made today, there'd be more of a middle ground between making Joseph Gordon-Levitt look like Bruce Willis? I Ooh, that's a good question. Or what I think they would actually do is I think wouldn't they just, like, deep fake young Bruce Willis? Or deep fake. It's like he doesn't have to be there. <laughs> well, no, just like, or maybe not deep fake is the right word, but I feel like they would actually just have Bruce Willis play himself, but like try like go harder on the um, like CGI. I feel like they would, you know, maybe I'm wrong, or maybe they just do Joseph Gordon-Levitt make him old. I don't know. Um, that's a good question, though. Um, yeah, and then. The same year that The Expendables comes out and brings Bruce Willis, Stallone, and Schwarzenegger on screen together in a quick scene in a movie, we get Red, mm-hmm. a movie I had not seen until right now for this podcast. But, Mike, you, you've seen this, right? 
I did, yes. And it's funny because talking, you know, first of all, I completely forgot Bruce Willis was in Moonrise Kingdom. Um, but uh, I'm just looking at his filmography now. But anyway, I digress. Uh, That's what I'm saying. He, he cared. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, I saw Red. Um, it was very much a, like, uh, my family was all sitting home one night. We were very bored. And we were like, well, Red's on demand. Let's watch Red. So we watched Red. I hadn't watched it since. Um, I had some vague memories of what went on in it. Um, I remember thinking it was fine. Um, and I guess after rewatching it, I still think it's fine. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I will say that Red was kind of like exactly what I was expecting in the mm-hmm. sense that it like met my expectations. This is a perfectly watchable movie. Right. It, it, well, so, and it's, so, thinking about, like, more, what I think kind of Bruce Willis, when I think of Bruce Willis now, and kind of, like, the kinds of movies he was in around that era, is, and, and you mentioned Live Free or Die Hard getting some, like, kind of shit, because it was rated PG-13 and not R, it's like, I look at Red, I look at Surrogates, um, and movies like that, and you know, you you can kind of argue about like the merits of, of either of those movies. Red Red's probably better than Surrogates. I saw well, Surrogates. Expendables. Expendables was Ex- also PG thirteen. Right. Yeah. Expendables, and it's like you know, these were PG thirteen action movies that like you could watch. I mean, I'm, I'm saying this from the perspective of a teenager because that's when I was a teenager. Like you could watch with your parents and like not feel too weird about. And I I don't know if that those kinds of movies, those kinds of like action movies, really exist anymore, unless. It's all just Fast and Furious, and it's all, like, Marvel now. Yeah. Like, I can't really think of, like, a more, like, star-driven, non-franchise movie like that. Um, and so it, it was nostalgic, not only because I'd seen the movie before, but because it brought me back to those kinds of movies. Yeah, exactly. We, we've sort of, like, codified a little era here mm-hmm. of PG-13 non-superhero movies mm-hmm. where you can watch them with the family. Yeah. Where it's like, do you... I mean, I guess you can watch Marvel movies with the family, but mm-hmm. it seems much more like something you would do with like your friends. Right. Um, yeah, you can, but it's like, I think the difference is, is like, um, there's, and this is kind of an insult, but there's also like a, a kind of like a, a disposability to a movie like Red in the sense where it's like Marvel. It's like, you're not just watching a Marvel movie. Like you are watching like, a cog in a greater machine. Yeah, a connecting puzzle piece. Right, you know, yeah. The Sistine Chapel. Mm-hmm. And um, I would I would imagine it, if you're not caught up on the other stuff, it'd probably be kind of alienating. Um, whereas, and, and you also kind of know what's going to happen because they're, they're very formulaic. Um, whereas a movie like Red, I feel like you can kind of go in, go out, have a good time. And, um, you know, is it a feature or a bug that you might not think about a lot afterwards? Like, I, I don't know, but like, um yeah it's like it, it's it's a good movie you can go see but it doesn't have to be like a whole event a whole part of another interlocking universe there's something very just kind of like easy about it that is appealing <laughs> yeah i feel like this this film is ideal for like fathers and sons yes because like uh the father can explain like who the actors are to the son <laughs> right yeah you know and it continues the trend of like fathers and sons watching action movies together because mm-hmm. like you know i certainly grew up you know with that yeah yeah and you know so it's more sort of that that thing i think than than like your marvel movie 
per mm-hmm. se, unless your dad's like a nerd. <laughs> no, <laughs> who, who's King the Conqueror? <laughs> I think you're right because I was thinking about this um, a couple weeks ago, where it's like I remember like my dad and I going to see the movie Two Guns one summer, which was like you know like the Mark Wahlberg Denzel Washington movie, and it's like an extremely just like okay movie. But I feel like there has not been, like, a two guns recently that I would, like, want to go to my dad with. Like, outside of, like, Top Gun Maverick, which is entire, which is another thing entirely. Um, so. <laughs> Best picture-worthy film. Yeah. It's like the, the last movie I saw with my dad in theaters was Devotion, which is <laughs> the, uh, the Jonathan Majors movie where he plays a, an aviator in the Korean War. And it's like, it was, like, fine but it was also like they're, they're not making these like they used to kind of feeling right like there should be more of these movies that are released over the course of the year and they should also be better yeah well speaking of they should be better um <laughs> i guess we'll just talk qu- quickly about like bruce willis's like final years as a movie star mm-hmm. um so he's basically been just starring in like direct-to-video action movies which is basically like complete schlock not worth your time um His last film released theatrically is 2019's Motherless Brooklyn, Mm. which is directed by the Hulk himself, Edward Norton. Um, I have not seen Motherless Brooklyn. From from what I understand, like, Edward Norton would, like, took this novel, Mm -hmm. and he was like, hey, I want to adapt this film into, I want to adapt this book into a film, but I also want to adapt Robert Caro's The Power Broker. (laughs) So I'm going to set it change it from modern day and set in the 1950s which sounds completely strange but that was the last film bruce willis was in he's also in death wish Mm. eli roth's death wish that's right and um did you ever see glass i never did no i never saw glass or split um i have not seen split but i i knew about it like when it when it came out like the ending reveal mm-hmm. and then when glass came out i was like there i was like excited because i like unbreakable a whole lot and it was like one of these things is like is there ever going to be a sequel to unbreakable mm-hmm. and it didn't seem likely but then suddenly it seemed super likely and glass came out and it was super disappointing <laughs> yes that's what i heard <laughs> because in a way one of the reasons because there was a lack of bruce willis in the movie mm. but i think I mean, this is like a conspiracy theory, technically, but I, you know, I think people have been wondering about Bruce Willis for like a while now, mm-hmm. probably for the last ten years, if not more, about if like is something wrong with him, because, you know, it seems like he wasn't quite up to snuff, and like I, I guess apparently he might have had some memory problems, and that that's why I think he's not in movies like Glass as much as we would like, and yeah. it affects the movie enjoyment process as a result. I mean, I don't know if you heard, but like he did misery on Broadway. Oh, I didn't know that. Stephen King's misery. He played mm-hmm. the, uh, James Conroll from mm-hmm. the movie. Where's the author? Yeah. And apparently he had like a earbud and they were just feeding him lines. Mm. So he could do the play. And it's like, what's the point of doing a play? Right. Yeah. <laughs> you kind of take all the stakes away. Um, yeah. So that, that is, the the sad end to bruce willis's career he's made several several enjoyable movies mm-hmm. some of which i'll re-watch again gladly um and red red is sort of like the beginning of like that final era of him 
So let's let's talk about Red. Mike, what do you what do you think of Bruce Willis in this movie? Let's talk about Bruce Willis in this movie. Yeah, I, I think he I think he does what he needs to do. Um, I think that he, um, yeah, I, I think he's good. I, I don't know that he's really like kind of going above and beyond, but he is you know uh, certainly watchable, certainly entertaining. Um, you know, the chemistry between he and Mary Louise Parker is good enough. You know, it's, it's Harley Spencer, Tracy, and Catherine Hepburn, but it's good enough. Um, and yeah, I, I thought he was pretty good in it. Yeah, I don't know if Bruce Willis is really, like, very romantic lead. Right, yeah. yeah. Other than, like, in Moonlighting, mm-hmm. where it's, like, him and Sybil Shepherd, it's like, ooh, this is good stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, that was more like the, the, you know, the funny dialogue and stuff and the back and forth. Right. More so than, like, well, I mean, there was romance, but you know what I mean. Like, just general exuding mm-hmm. romance. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I wanted to ask you, what do you think of uh, Mary Louise Parker in this movie? Um, I, so I'll put it, I'll say this. I'll watch Mary Louise Parker do anything. I think she's absolutely beautiful. I will watch her read the phone book. Um, in this movie, she's fine. I just, I, I don't like the way her character is written necessarily. I, you know, it's very much, uh... I, like, I think that I think the Bruce Willis, Mary Louise Parker angle, which is like, you know, Bruce Willis is this retired, like, black ops guy, basically. Um, he's He gets his pension from the U.S. government. Um, he sort of pretends to not receive his checks, so he has an excuse to call Mary Louise Parker, who's working at some call center in Kansas City. Um, and they strike up a romance there. Um, turns out somebody's trying to kill Bruce Willis because of a of of a black ops thing he was involved back in the day um so he finds Mary Louise Parker because he assumes she'll be a target too and kind of hijinks ensue um and lots of gunfights as well I I think that um the the angle they tried to play up between like you know oh she's like he's kind of kidnapping her and she um is you know this kind of like not not this naive person who also has this thirst for adventure, and now she's hanging out with all these like assassins. Like I I found that angle to be like the least interesting part of the movie actually. Um, the the one shot that did make me laugh very hard is when Bruce Willis is um, he has her like tied up in like a motel room, and he he meets with somebody and. Uh, He's like, I met a girl. And it's like, oh, how's that going? And he just goes, it's complicated. And you see her banging her head against the headboard trying to get loose. Like, that that did actually make me laugh. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just found that angle, like, it just, I wasn't getting out of it. I, I feel like they were leaning on it too hard. And just, like, th- there just wasn't enough kind of, like, quality there to keep me engaged with it. Yeah, so I like the setup of this movie where mm-hmm. it's like as you said he's the agent and she's like the regular civilian that gets caught up it's very much like your bog standard like romancing the stone mm-hmm. sort of setup you know kathleen turner is a writer who writes about these adventure novels and then she ends up meeting michael douglas and they get into this adventure um so you know it's that sort of setup where she you know reads these harlequin romance novels and wants something more and then she gets unwittingly involved in this horrible mission i think the problem with this movie structure wise is that it's sort of set up to be like you know bruce willis and mary louise parker on this romance adventure Mm -hmm. but then it sort of becomes sidetracked into like bruce willis getting the gang back together yeah 
and then Mary Louise Parker kind of she just becomes like a damsel in distress. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, so it's like wanting to do like two kinds of movies in one. And I think this movie like nimbly does it. Like it's not doing it where I'm like hating watching it. Right. But that that's sort of uh, an inherent flaw. But I think I like watching Bruce Willis and Mary Louise Parker together. I'm not like you though, where I like love Mary Louise Parker. Mm-hmm. I know there's like a lot of people out there. I don't know if I can call them weirdos because they might just be <laughs> normal people who like love Mary Louise Parker. Yeah. Uh, but I think she's fine in mm-hmm. this movie. Um, and I like uh, I like Bruce Bruce's characters where it's like he's the retired CIA operative who like kills people for the government, but it's like he really just wants to be like a normal guy mm-hmm. who has a normal life. I think that was like funny. And good for Bruce to do, but I think that kind of got lost as the movie went along. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think Bruce Bruce was good. This is I don't know if I would say this is his funniest role. He's just sort of there, mm-hmm. and the lines are okay, but he is perfectly. This was definitely like uh, layup the basketball term. Like this is like a right, layup yeah. for him in terms of like movie roles. Exactly. Yeah. It's. Um... Yeah, he's, I mean, in some ways, he, he's kind of playing himself, um, or it feels like he is. He's just kind of playing, like, a, a facsimile of his prior roles, and that's kind of, like, the joke, right? Is that, like, he's old, but he's still, like, an action hero, um, which is kind of funny in the, in the sense that he was only, so Bruce Willis is currently, like, 67, which means that when this movie came out, he was, like, in his mid-50s which doesn't really feel that old now. Um, yeah, it's under a retirement age. Yeah, and, and makes him also, I think, younger than certainly Helen Mirren and Morgan Freeman, um, who are kind of sort of cast as his contemporaries. Um, but yeah, he's, he's perfectly adequate. Um, what did you think of uh, Morgan Freeman? Um, you know, I kind of, again, he's not doing like a whole lot, but I enjoyed, you know, Morgan Freeman, I think is so often kind of like held up as this kind of like saintly figure. And it was kind of fun seeing him as a guy who kills people and like, who's a little devious. I enjoyed that. Yeah. I mean, this, this was the same year as Invictus, I believe. So he was... (laughs) Playing these devious people. <laughs> um, uh, I know, I like Morgan Freeman. I kind of wish there was more Morgan Freeman. Yeah, yeah. He's, I think, sorely missing in the second one. Mm-hmm. Um, John Malkovich. Malkovich, I I actually, like, well, we'll talk about it later. I think I like Malkovich a little bit more in the second movie, but he's good in this movie. You know, he's doing his crazy Malkovich thing. Um I think he has jokes that probably work like a little bit more than like Willis's per se. Um, but he, I mean, he's, I think he's very well cast as just like a guy who has been secretly been dosed LSD by the CIA for years. And now is kind of crazy, you know, Malkovich is crazy good. Yeah. I think he was good with the material he was given, but I felt like it was tough to get a beat on his character. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like to like understand like some of the jokes and stuff. Right. Well, yeah, and I feel like part of the jokes is so much as that, like, get it, they're old, but they also kill people and they're crazy. Like, it's, (laughs) you know, and and that's, like, a joke that works for maybe half an hour, but for two hours it maybe, you know, wears a little thin. 
Um, and then we can talk about Helen Mirren, which I feel like is the, st- the standout memorable performance. Like, if you ask someone on the street about Red, they would remember, oh, that's the movie with Helen Mirren and, like, using Machine Gun, right? Yeah, I, like, I, I distinctly remember that being, like, a key part of, like, the trailer. Is her being like, oh, I kill people, darling. And then her on, like, the, the big turret. Um, you know, Helen Mirren is... I, I would say it's pretty effortlessly charming. And I just, I, she's probably the most talented actor of this group. Um, and I think that comes through in her being able to sell, you know, kind of like mid-level material. Yeah, well, she's like, um, well, it's strange because like you were saying about how like Morgan Freeman, it's like this is like playing against type for him. Mm-hmm. And like people would say that about Helen Mirren. But like Helen Mirren has like had an interesting career. Like, people think she's, like, this grandmotherly figure, but she's been around since, like, the early 70s doing, like, these really, like, experimental British movies. Yeah, she was in Caligula, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so, you know, and she wasn't one to, like, um, she was one to, you know, get her clothes off if the movie required it. So it's, like, she has this reputation, but she would do things. And she's, like, basically, like, playing, like, a sociopath in this, this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, she's very enjoyable in this film, um, and you know I, I I like the way structure wise this film like doles out the people like she doesn't show up until like the second half of this movie yeah so like it it, it doesn't like introduce everybody all at once up front there's like a a journey to go on and uh, do you want to talk about Brian Cox yeah Brian Cox shows up. As uh, a Russian agent, they they end up at the Russian embassy because they they need his help, and it's you know he and like Bruce Willis are set up as old rivals. I thought if he was pretty good. I there so I, I I couldn't tell if this is what was happening because Helen Mirren tells this story to Mary Louise Parker where she says that when she was with MI6, she had like this lover, and I may have misheard her, but I felt like she said he was also MI6, and then. She was ordered by MI6 to kill him, and she did so because she had no other option and all this. Um, but then Brian Cox reveals, I think to Bruce Willis later, he reveals to somebody later that like he was the guy, he was her lover and the person he was, she was sent to kill. And I felt like his accent was slipping from Russian back to Scottish there. And I couldn't tell if that was like a deliberate thing where he was supposed to be like a like mi6 guy who faked his own death and then defected to the soviets or something like it felt like there was something else going on there um but you know he's brian cox he's supposed to be kind of like a i mean kind of like a horny old man <laughs> um you know yeah, he's, he's, he's very much in like comic relief mode yeah yeah which i, I think is funny to compare to his current reputation where he has sort of like a elder statesman of acting sort of thing from succession yeah and he's like super imperious in that show which is kind of funny because like Succession is like half a comedy. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. and like <laughs> he has like probably the least comedic role in it. Well, I mean, it's funny because he's terrifying. Yeah. He's like the supremely powerful mm-hmm. thing. Um. Uh. But he, yeah, he's very funny, and he, you know he's funny in this. He's like the comic relief, and I think he's he's hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, Carl Urban. Yeah. Thoughts. Uh... Carl Urban's good. You know, he's supposed to play this, like, ice-cold kind of CIA assassin who gets... Cooper. Yeah, Cooper, who gets basically tricked, kind of, sort of, into 
going after this this whole crew. Um, you know, he's good as like like the gimmick they try to set up with him, but they never really follow through on is that like he's talking to his like wife about like their kid, like as he is like preparing to to murder somebody. <laughs> um, I, I think he's good as kind of like a slick, um, you know, hitman type figure. I I enjoyed him. Yeah, no, Carl Carl Urban's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, more power to Carl Urban to do what he wants. He's fantastic in everything he's in. Yeah, make another Dread movie. That's what I say. Yeah, unfortunately, he's too busy with this <laughs> successful little project on Amazon called The Boys. Uh, yeah. Um, but he, you know, he's great. Um, Ernest Borgnine. <laughs> uh, he shows up. You know, he does. This has this has got to be one of the last movies Ernest Borgnine was in. Um, you know, shows up, does his thing. Sounds like Mermaid Man, and uh, <laughs> what, what can you say? He was very front and center of the marketing too. I remember. I remember him being in the trailer a lot, but he's only in like two scenes. Apparently, one of the last things he did was he was on SNL in the What's Up With That sketch. <laughs> <laughs> on Brian Cranston, Kanye West episode, huh? Yeah, one of the one of his last big movies, Red. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Julian McMahon. I uh, completely forgot who. Oh, he plays the vice president. Yeah, Doctor um, Doom. Yeah, did not recognize him from his role in Fantastic Four and Fantastic Four: Rise of the Silver Surfer. Um, did not. You know, he looks like a politician. Good for him. <laughs> well, let's let's just talk about his role because I mean, he doesn't really have a whole lot of. screen time so the plot of this movie is that he served in vietnam and like or he 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 was in it was uh, i think it was el salvador or guatemala it was some like central american country in the 80s in the 80s yeah which is like you know in uh america had a very aggressive foreign policy in the 80s not just when it came to like europe and the soviet union but especially when it came to central america there were lots of like all that carter era fallout yeah i ran like I, that's what i ran contras basically was right there were lots of sort of either successful like not explicitly communist but like leftist revolutions or like elections and then reagan tried to reverse basically all of them and led to some the u.s funding death squads and things like that um and so the thing the the idea is that like robert stan is the name of the character was um the son of a senator i believe or the secretary of defense or something like that um and he kind of went like uh you know kind of you know he he massacred like a village or something and then the black ops team that were introduced to bruce willis john malkovich all of them uh extracted him from the scene and now he's the vice president and he wants to run for president so some corrupt elements within the CIA and an arms dealer are trying to eliminate these people who know about um, his war crimes. Yeah, no, um, it's interesting. Um, it's interesting timing that we're recording this where the idea of a, a vice president could be so evil <laughs> to try and ensure that he attains the presidency. This movie is prescient in yes. many ways. Don't you agree, Mike? 
Uh, yes, I would. I, I would also argue that it's uh, very much a reaction to Dick Cheney <laughs> and George W. Bush to, to some extent. Um, which Oh, I know. I didn't think about that. I guess that is true. Because I, I was wondering, because there's like a trend of like evil vice presidents yeah. in this era. Because like Iron Man 3 mm-hmm. has an evil vice president. And I was just like, I was just thought they were like hedging by not making the president evil. Yeah. By just having like the evil vice president. But I never, I never made the Cheney connection. Did 24 have an evil vice president or I'm misremembering? Well, in season five... Well, I mean, it depends how you define evil, because mm-hmm. like um, in season two, the vice president invokes the twenty fifth amendment against President Palmer, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't say he's like evil. And then season four, the vice president attains p- the presidency. He's like the, a Nixonian figure, and he becomes one of the main antagonists in season five. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, there's another vice president ascending in season six i don't know if you could really say he's evil mm-hmm. he's kind of an antagonist to be sure and then yeah no i think that's it for vice presidents in 24 um yeah definitely a lot of stuff going on in this era um that is kind of interesting to be reminded of yeah and also interesting when you consider who is playing the arms dealer in question which is Richard Dreyfus? Oh right, Richard Dreyfus. I forgot. Um, and I remember what like um, watching this. I mean, like, didn't he like get like really political around this time? And he did. Like in 2012, um, I remember seeing this. It was like a very weird red carpet interview. Um, well, he played Cheney and W. He did. Yes. Stones W. Um, but he. Uh, I remember seeing this weird red carpet interview like at the time and like not thinking much of it, but like he, somebody asked him about like, uh, I actually don't know what they asked him about, but he said basically he was like, I think we need to like re-sign the preamble of the constitution and I'm calling on like the Koch brothers who are you know, like the funders of the Tea Party movement basically to like do that, like challenging them to recommit to the constitution. Um, and this feels like kind of a, I don't actually know, so this is wild speculation. But he was calling on the Koch brothers to do something about the M and M's, right? Yes, yeah, basically the, the woke M and M's. Um, but yeah, like it, it, it. Uh, I, I, I wonder if he like sought out this role because it was like about political corruption or whatever. Um, Maybe I, yeah. I think he's great in this movie. He's okay. There was just like one scene where I'm like, oh god, they did not like like the scene where they're like interrogating him in his little like safe room in his house, and he goes like, I'm the bad guy. I'm like, this is like really weird. Like this is like a very weird line reading. Like I don't really understand what's going on. But yeah, he's like a he's a good like you know slimy uh slimy Washington type. Yeah, there's like a problem I think with like the tone, like the intended tone mm. of this movie. Yeah, I agree. Where I feel like it's supposed to be, because, like, knowing it's based on, like, a Warren Ellis mm-hmm. comic, I feel like it's supposed to be this sort of, like, really dark, almost like Mar- Mark Millar-esque mm-hmm. movie that's, like, trapped in a veneer of, like, you know, more palatable action. You know what I mean? Because, like, the characters are all kind of, like, sociopaths. Right. Like I said. Where it's basically, like, oh, they're, j- you know, they're basically serial killers that are employed by the U.S. government mm-hmm. to just basically kill everyone. 
but it's not really so much of an indictment, you know, because it's like they're the good guys, quote unquote. Yeah. You're never really left to dwell on any of that. I agree. And I actually think that that like uh, that became more of a problem for me in the second movie. Um, Yes, definitely. But yeah, yes, I I would definitely agree. It it definitely. Well, have you ever read a red comic book? Well, isn't it? It's only one series of three comics, right? Oh, see, I don't know. I should have read more. Yeah, yeah. So I'll I'll just talk quickly. So it's like a Warren Ellis comic Mm -hmm. published by DC through Wildstorm through Homage. Um, So it's basically three issues. Warren Ellis has like admitted, like, yeah, it's it's different because there's not really enough in material in the comic to Mm -hmm. equal the length of a movie. So they had to change it dramatically and he's like yeah basically it's like a different movie where which i think is a pretty awesome movie you know you can go see helen mirren wielding a machine gun so go see it everyone mm-hmm. so it's it's basically different but yeah technically it is a dc movie yeah um yeah and it, it does and it because it did make me think like it really feels like in some ways they're not running away from it but it's like if you didn't know this was based on a comic book you wouldn't know, you know what I mean, just by watching this. Whereas I feel like in the second movie, they tried very hard to emphasize that it is based on a comic book, um, which I thought was an interesting decision to make three years later. I th- I just think it was lack of imagination on the part of whoever directed the second one. That that could very well be. <laughs> ah, make it look like a comic. <laughs> um, yeah, so the first one was directed by Robert Schwenk who has done some other movies that I've seen. I was He's a German director. Yeah, he did uh, He did The Time Traveler's Wife, not the Hulu series, the, the 2009 movie with, I believe, Rachel McAdams. Oh, he did uh, R.I.P.D. Yes, which is also based on a comic book. Which is, a, is another movie we have on our master list. <laughs> yes, it is. Also stars Mary Louise Parker. Oh, oh yes, I did know that, yeah. He's uh, directed two of the Divergent series of films. Yes. <laughs> um and he did a snake eyes movie mm-hmm. two years snake eyes the character from gi joe yeah so this is very like very much his metier you know very much uh yeah he's on standby to direct these these kinds of movies mm-hmm. um and like bruce willis he was born in germany ah that's true uh... and the second one was directed by dean parasat who directed uh the only movies I recognize on here are Galaxy Quest, um, the the Star Trek parody, Fun with Dick and Jane, which I believe is a Jim Carrey movie. Yep, Jim Carrey. Uh, and then, oh, it's a Judd Apatow movie. I had no idea. Um, and then Bill and Ted Face the Music, the, uh, the Bill and Ted. Yeah, sequel. I've seen the back half of this man's filmography. Yeah. Yeah, which is, is weird, because... Red, like, looking at the back half, like, Galaxy Quest, very funny movie. I would highly recommend. Fun with Dick and Jane, you know, comedy, Jim Carrey comedy. And Bill and Ted face the music. Obviously, you know, funny movie. Not really meant to take the time travel too seriously. Mm-hmm. Red 2 kind of stands out. <laughs> yeah, because, I, I guess, are, are we ready, like, just to transition to Red I think two? so. I mean, we, we basically said, like, <laughs> yeah. Red 1 is ver- a very watchable movie. Yeah. Red 2, it, like, the joy is sucked out and red too it was kind of my take on it right and like the way i thought about it was like 
at the beginning of Red, you have this SWAT team that shows up to Bruce Willis's like quiet suburban home in Cleveland, and they just unload clip after clip after clip after clip into his house. And like it's an action scene, but like there's also kind of like a little bit of a wink. Like they're blowing up his like Christmas decorations. And there's it's like clearly meant to be like ridiculous and over the top. Whereas Red 2 just felt more like straightforward and kind of like generic and soulless <laughs> in a way, right? I knew there was a problem, like when the movie started mm-hmm. and like the action started and I didn't understand what was happening. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah. Like what? like you outlined it was very clear. Mm-hmm. Like, what was happening with the second one, I felt like I had missed something. Yeah, it's... Um, well, you mentioned, too, how, you know, you felt like the problem of the first movie was it It feels like it goes from the Bruce Willis and Mary Louise Parker relationship to him getting the gang back together. And this, I feel like, has that problem, but, like, tenfold, right? Where it, it opens up on he and Mary Louise Parker at Home Depot, and she's kind Either of Either at Costco. All, at Costco, whatever. Um, and she's bored and all this. And then it gets into this like very complicated plot I didn't 100% understand and actually only got more complicated as the movie went on and I understood even less. And then also just an excuse to throw in all these different guest stars who kind of show up for a little bit and then go away, it feels like. Um, yeah. I, 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 Mary Louise Parker, I didn't think was very good in Red 2. Mm-hmm. She's basically like, she basically becomes like a sociopath. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, Yes, I agree. And, like, what also stood out to me this time was, like, the violence felt more kind of, like, flippant. <laughs> like... Mean. Yeah. Like, the, there's a whole scene where, like, uh, Helen Mirren calls John Malkovich on the phone, and she's, like, dissolving somebody's body in acid in a bathtub while she's doing it. And it's, like, this doesn't, like, feel as funny as I feel like it should. <laughs> like, it just feels kind of like, like you said, like, sociopathic. Like, it was very weird. Yeah. Um, and it was just strange like there were certain things that annoyed me like when John Malkovich there's like there's like the thing at the beginning with John Malkovich pretends to be dead mm-hmm. and he I think I don't remember if it's like Mary Louise Parker says it where it's like he was your best friend right yeah and I was like what <laughs> yeah and they imply they haven't seen each other in years in the first movie and also he tries to kill him like he's... yeah they, they imply they were never friends in the yeah. first one yeah it was just very strange. Yeah. And um, the second one, like like, I, like we were saying, like there is that scene at Costco mm-hmm. where it's like them at Costco and like Bruce Willis is like, hey, you know, I'm excited. I'm at Costco. I want to be a regular guy. And Mary Louise Parker is kind of bored. I think that's like a fine setup. Yeah. But that gets like dropped immediately. Mm-hmm. And then like Mary Louise Parker is like, I want to like kill people. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm an adrenaline junkie who's like, it gives off the impression that she's not really in love with the Frank Moses character mm-hmm. anymore. She's just addicted to, to action. Yeah. And then the second film doesn't really get going for me until like an hour in mm-hmm. when Anthony Hopkins shows up. Yeah. And then even then it's like fits and starts. Yes. I, I would definitely agree. Um, yeah. There's a whole running gag where it's like John Malkovich keeps giving Mary Louise Parker a gun and she gets very excited. And Bruce was like, no, don't give her a gun. And it's this whole thing. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I agree. It didn't didn't really get going for me until Anthony Hopkins showed up. Um, Catherine Zeta-Jones showing up just felt like a, like a digression. Like, um, I didn't really understand what the purpose of that was. And then you have the whole uh, Byung-Hun Lee thing, 
which really just kind of felt like a like a play to the international market. <laughs> um, or Byung Hun Lee, do, do you do you know what what else you've seen Byung Hun Lee in? <laughs> I I don't know. Tell me. He's the front man from Squid Game. Oh yeah yeah yeah. <clears throat> um, and he's this like uh, assassin that the government hires to kill Bruce Willis. And again, it's it's much more convoluted where it's like he's been accused of knowing something he doesn't actually know. Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> like I I don't know, but um, and it's like, one of these these tropes I hate where it's like these characters that are like so insanely good at like martial arts and fighting. Yeah, that it becomes boring. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's like it's like you know he's like. Uh, there's that scene where he gets tied up in the convenience store and then he beats up like all the guards and it's mm-hmm. like somebody just shoot him <laughs> right yeah just have a gun and just shoot him and just like uh, okay. that's what i liked in the there's the scene where they're chasing david thulis is in mm-hmm. this movie yeah. as the frog yeah the frog man or the frog yeah, they call him the frog because he poisoned the kremlin's water supply with a poison dark frog never explained why he did that but but he did and there's like this whole big chase scene and I'm just like, just somebody hit him with the car <laughs> and that, that's what happens. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And it just like with Byung-Hun Lee and to a certain extent, Catherine Zeta-Jonas too, it's like the joke is no longer like joking, right? It's like, you know, the whole point of Red, which was a gimmick that got old a little bit was like, they're old, but they're like, you know, assassins or whatever. They're, they're these charming character sort of actors. Yeah. They? Young Hunley and Catherine Zeta-Jones really aren't. Exactly, yeah. They're just kind of very, like, stock, like, spy thriller characters. Um, like, yeah. you look at Entrapment. It's mm-hmm. like Catherine Zeta-Jones and Sean Connery. It's like, you know, the the contrast comes from the, you know, you know blandness of Catherine Zeta-Jones versus <laughs> the character actoriness of 60-plus-year-old Sean Connery. Right, right. You know, it's not like they cast... Catherine Zeta Jones and like Joe Joe Fines or something. Right. Yeah. Um So yeah, just just not uh not not as good. There there was Yeah, not as not as easy to recommend as Red One. Yeah. Red um, One I feel like is very enjoyable. You know, like I like we were saying before, you know, if you're with your dad or something and mm-hmm. want to put something on, I think Red is a fine movie to watch. You know? Unless the bridge on the river Kwai is on. Right. Yeah. Put that on instead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, or, you know, there's other Bruce Willis movies yeah. you could watch. You know, Sin City. It's mm-hmm. great. Um, you, 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 name, you name one, Mike. Uh, um, well, we already, we already mentioned The Sixth Sense and the Die Hard movies. Surrogates is watchable. I mean, it's, <laughs> if I remember correctly um yeah i mean definitely better than hudson hawk <laughs> um yeah. definitely better than anything bruce willis has released in the last two years yes not that, that that's true. his fault and also also not not as like ethically fraught because i feel like there's been some controversy about uh how much he actually knew he was doing when he was making those movies well i mean he was getting paid or ridiculous boatload yeah in those movies yeah. he's like actively taking away money from mm-hmm. the the rest of the crew yeah to star in these movies mm-hmm. 
Um, so it's kind of a two way two way street there. Yeah, kind of cutting both ways. Yeah, so I mean, this is definitely an odd one for us to cover <laughs> on Fortress of Ineptitude because, like, there's really like, what is the legacy of this movie? Yeah, is is there anything you can argue? I mean, you could argue Red Two. Um, you think there's a legacy to Red Two? Well, no, I mean, I mean, like Red One led to Red Two. Oh yeah, right. Existing yeah. there's there's apparently there's talk of a, a Red Three movie being developed, and that got somehow turned into a Red TV show. Oh, oh, but that sounds familiar. Yeah, but nothing has developed on that front. So I mean, like, what what is the legacy of this movie? Nothing. I would say there are no memorable lines. No one's like, wow, this is a real Frank Moses moment right here. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. Pretty, like we said, first one, watchable, but a little disposable. Um, and, you know, I guess if, you like, if you're like me and you're like, I, I just want to see Mary Louise Parker on the screen, then you can watch either of these movies. Um, <laughs> you could just watch red uh no not uh weeds weeds or the six some seasons of the sixth sense the sixth or, sense <laughs> oh god you know the west wing sorry wrong wrong, wrong alliteration <laughs> um president bartlett's like josh i see dead people um yeah he sees a dead person that one episode the uh the secretary who dies Arnold Vinick's like, I uh, I see my dead wife. <laughs> She's telling me not to believe in God. <laughs> That's the good Alan Alda. Mm. Um, but um, he should have been in these movies. Alan he should have been the vice president. Yeah, he, he'd, he'd be good. I, I There's think. like a whole bunch of like old character actors that are... I mean, like Red 1, I think, meets the, the quota. Right, of right. Like having enough. Like Red 2 kind of drops the ball. Yeah. They don't really re. They don't. I mean, there's Anthony Hopkins. I guess is the only one they add because they took away Morgan Freeman. Ernest Borgnine was dead, mm-hmm. and like they didn't really add anybody else. Yeah, and the people they add, like I said, it's like they they missed the point, right? They're they're not old character actors. They're just actors, um, who are doing generic action movie stuff. Yeah. Um, and just I, I I'm I'm looking at like the plot synopsis for Red Two right now. Completely forgot Iran is involved at one point. Um, and the end of this movie is insane too, where they're because uh, Red One ends, and uh, Brian Cox is like, "I need you guys to do a favor for me in Moldova," and it ends with Bruce Willis and like uh, John Malkovich running away from these like angry villagers basically, and it's it's like funny ish. Whereas, like, this one ends with them in Caracas, and, like, uh, Mary Louise Parker is, like, dancing in, like, a Chiquita banana outfit, and then just takes out a machine gun and starts shooting, like, the ceiling. And it's, like, what? So she's just, like, a full-on, like, serial killer now. She's not a normal, relatable person. No, not at all. Um, Anyway. So, I mean, I, I guess that covers our extensive thoughts on the red duology yes um definitely i i don't know i i mean i don't know was this a successful podcast episode we i i we just want i just wanted to talk about bruce willis i think it was successful i think we covered a lot of ground and i think we we successfully conveyed our feelings about both these movies yeah um definitely 
uh, this is you know one of the more for, forgettable pairs of movies that I, I think <laughs> that our title correctly applies to these. Yeah, yeah. Um, like if you're doing laundry and you want some noise in the background, throw on red. That that's how I would leave it. Yeah, I mean you can leave leave the room and come back. Don't yeah. have to worry about missing anything. Mm-hmm. I uh, I would definitely agree. Did this movie make you nostalgic for <laughs> young Mike Levito? <laughs> the promise and care of a world where <laughs> old people can kill as many people as possible? <laughs> um, no. No, I can't say that it did. Because, believe it, old people are still killing a lot of people, actually. Um, but, like, you... did you get any nostalgic enjoyment of this? I, I, I My enjoyment was not nostalgic outside of and i hate to keep harping on this point reawakening whatever teenage feelings i had for mary louise parker but um no it wasn't nostalgia it was just like i remember outside of what we were talking about where it's like oh they don't really make this kind of movie anymore but like i i do remember like when i was watching red like i do remember there being one scene where i'm like i am enjoying this like this is fun like thinking that to myself i guess it just made me nostalgic for a time where there were movies that were just kind of fun. Because I feel like I've been watching a lot of, like, stuff recently that is either takes itself too seriously or just is, like, not that good. And I was like, this is a perfectly okay, just fun movie. I feel like I have to attach no other weight to it than it is just fun. And I guess, in a sense, it made me nostalgic for that. <laughs> mm. All right. Well said. So, I mean, I guess, I guess that's it. I think so. We don't need to be belabor our podcast recording any longer i i don't think we do do you, uh, do you think people get in touch with us about what our what we think about reds i hope i i hope so i i want them to you can <laughs> you can talk to us about these movies about the cincinnati reds about warren Beatty's reds warren Beatty's reds about like you said the i can't i don't remember how to pronounce his name but but the polish christoph kieslowski <laughs> excuse me christoph kieslowski um I feel like there, there's like a million different movies called Red. About Red Sparrow, the Jennifer Lawrence movie. <laughs> Which Mary Louise Parker is also in. Oh, hey, I gotta watch it now. Um, <laughs> We're just gonna start a Mary, Mary Louise Parker <laughs> podcast where Michael just go on about these movies and I'll just be ambivalent <laughs> the whole time. That, that sounds like a good time to me. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh no, but like, how can people get in touch with us? Right. Yes. Yes. I know. I was. I was about. I was about to start on that. Um, if you would like to talk to us about red or anything to do with the color red or things you have red on the post writer, for instance, what a segue! You can contact us at contact at the uh, You can find this podcast on that website. You can also find it anywhere else you find podcasts: Spotify, Apple, what have you. Um, please write to us. We love hearing from you. It's it's much more fun when you guys participate. Um, so it, it's not just me and Lewis talking to each other. There are other people we are kind of talking to as well. That's always fun. Um, as far as myself, you can find my writing on The Post Writer, my other podcasts on The Post Writer. You can find my writing on The Writing. And you can find me on Twitter at MLVito and Letterboxd at Ameramike. Yeah. So I'm, I'm throwing down the gauntlet. I want people to email us, and I want you to answer this question. What is your favorite Bruce Willis movie? Let mm. us know, and we will read some of these emails on the next 
iteration of this podcast where we go over the forgotten comic book movies. Fortress of Ineptitude. So please, what is your favorite Bruce Willis movie? Let us know. We are dying to know. Um, please let us know. Yes, please do. And thanks so much for listening to The Fortress of Ineptitude. See you guys later.